I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. We're continuing our series there, and we're in chapter 4 tonight, verses 7 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. College Church, hear God's word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word tonight. I pray that you would help us to not simply understand it, but to receive it in our hearts, in minds, in faith, and that you would strengthen us to live it out in obedience, all that you are calling us towards in your word. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are ready to receive and respond all to your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1991, Gatorade launched a commercial that quickly became a fan favorite. It went like this. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Michael Jordan, of course. And the commercial, if you watch it, it showed phenomenal clips of Jordan's greatness. Game winners, unbelievable dunks. Everybody in the commercial was wanting to be like Mike. You see, Jordan was at the top of his game. He was the NBA MVP. He was the NBA champion. He was the greatest in the world. Impressive, successful, and dominant. He was really a picture of the will to win. He was a picture of strength. Everyone wanted to be like Mike. Well, more than basketball, we often want a like Mike way of life. We want the way that is impressive. We want the way of the successful. We want the way of the dominant. 
We want the way of strength. We want the way of prosperity. In our text, though, Corinth was filled with teachers who had a like-mike way of life and a like-mike way of ministry. External impressiveness, success, prosperity, and strength. And they questioned anyone who would want to be like Paul. They told people to steer clear of that kind of path. I wonder if Gatorade made a commercial about the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. It might go something like this. Sometimes I dream that he is me. I dream I'm weak. I dream I fall like Paul. If I could be like Paul. (laughs) I don't think Gatorade is going to be making that commercial anytime soon. Well, it's not far-fetched why the Corinthian church was hesitant with a like-Paul path. Weakness is not the name of the game. I read a, a Peanuts cartoon that captures this inclination very well. Lucy asks a sad Charlie Brown what he's concerned about. And Charlie said, I feel inferior And Lucy says, oh, you shouldn't worry about that. Lots of people have that feeling. And Charlie responded, what, that they're inferior? No, Lucy responded, that you're inferior. (laughs) Well, we have an allergy. We have an allergy to anything that would display any form of inferiority or weakness. We would rather be the cream of the crop the top of the top. We would rather be the flagship, the premier. What's true about humanity is that humanity idolizes strength and success and prosperity. But even churches, even churches want to be the flagship, want to be the premier, want to be the gold standard church. Isn't that what God uses? No, it's, it's more like God uses the clay standard church. God uses the weak option. God uses a weak apostle. God uses a weak ministry. If we're to be a church committed to genuine gospel ministry here at College Church, we must take up the apostolic path. Paul's genuine gospel ministry is carried on by the church. It's led by its leaders And it's lived out by the life of the whole church. It's a like Paul way of life, a like Paul ministry. This ministry of glory that we have heard in recent weeks is to be be carried on by messengers of clay. This ministry that gives life is to be carried on by messengers given over to death. God uses weak churches. Now we're not talking about moral weakness. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, had integrity of life. We saw that in chapter one. But when we're talking about weakness tonight, it means our physical, emotional, and situational weakness. What we're talking about is dependence. We're talking about being in need, not being self-sufficient, not being independent. We're talking about our frail and finite bodies and lives. 
You see, Paul experienced affliction, and his own condition was one of fragility. Paul was weak. And tonight's passage is reminding us of this. God uses weak churches. And so we're going to see that developed by answering two questions. First is this, why does God use weak churches? Paul's going to give us an answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But the second question is this, how do weak churches persevere? How do weak churches persevere in the work God has called them to do? So first question, why does God use weak churches? Well, verses 7 to 9 are clear. One reason why is to highlight God's power. See, Paul describes himself there in verse 7 and his ministry partners as jars of clay. Clay was cheap. Clay was breakable. Clay was expendable. Clay was weak. Genuine gospel ministry is simply jars of clay holding the great treasure of the gospel. We can see the great treasure of the gospel back in verse six from our passage last week. Look there with me. Verse six describes the gospel ministry through which God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the treasure that is contained in jars of clay. Why? Why would God do such a thing? So no one would mistake where the power to save and where the power to sustain actually comes from. It does not come from Paul or any person. The power to save and the power to sustain sinners comes from God alone. Why does God choose to work in this way? It's so that people are not drawn to man's power. God uses jars of clay. It's so that people do not depend on their own power. God uses jars of clay. It's to highlight God's power to save and his power alone. So God uses jars of clay. Well, if you look down in verses eight to nine, what Paul does is he gives four illustrations of this from his own life. He says about himself and his ministry partners, He says that they're afflicted, but not crushed. You see, life for Paul, it brought brought pressure that squeezed upon him from all sides. Yet he was not crushed. It says that he was perplexed, but not driven to despair. Life caused Paul to be depressed. Even the apostle Paul experienced that. He was depressed and he was stressed, but as one commentator said, he was not stressed out. He was persecuted, but not forsaken, the text tells us, but not forsaken. Life brought suffering for Paul, but he was not abandoned by God. He was struck down, but he was not destroyed, or someone translated this, he was knocked down, but he was not totally knocked out. Paul is describing himself Simply as a jar of clay, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. All of this coming from the miseries of life and also from the hands of others who were opposed to him and the work of Jesus Christ. But, 
but God's power sustained him. And it was not an ounce of his own endurance or his own fruitfulness. It did not come from his own power, but only the power of God that caused that. So it is with the church today. If we are to pick up the mantle of gospel ministry, God uses weak jars of clay. Weak jars of clay that hold this beautiful treasure of the light of the gospel. And we have experienced it that even though we are jars of clay, life can cause cracks to happen in the clay. One commentator named John Fitzgerald says it this way. He says, hardships caused cracks, but the vessel remains intact, held together by the power of divine adhesive. And the light that shines through these cracks is none other than the light of the life of Jesus. The church is clay, and it is cracked clay because of the hardships of life. But the church is upheld by the very power of God and holds on into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as there's cracks that happen in the clay, the light shines through those cracks for others to see. It is God's power. God uses weak churches, clay churches, to highlight God's power. Secondly, verse 10 through 12, it's not only that weak churches highlight God's power, but but it's also this. Why does God do this? This way, weak churches manifest Jesus's life. Paul moves to this imagery of life and death, going back and forth from one to the other. He's interpreting his own situation, his weak, suffering situation in life that is looked down upon by so many. And he interprets it by saying this, that it is as if he is carrying in his own body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested He's given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested. He's interpreting the physical and the emotional strain that he has experienced in his ministry and he says it's like dying. His sufferings were portraying to the world a picture of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But God was sustaining this weak apostle who also is portraying the resurrection, life, and power of Jesus. You see, God's power enabled Paul not only to portray Jesus, but also to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus in his ministry. So there it is, to to manifest for us as a church the life of Jesus. It's to portray Jesus, but also to proclaim him in our life and in our ministry. As God sustained Paul, so too God will sustain the church today. God uses weak churches to manifest Jesus' life. It's summed up in verse 12. Look there with me. It says, death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul was a dying apostle, given over to death in his experiences for the church. But through that came life. People received the message of light and life through Jesus Christ. And his dying in life in that way gave life to others. 
Now there's two ways to think of a dying church. Think of it with me. When someone says, that's a dying church, they often mean that that church has lost spiritual vitality. They've lost spiritual effectiveness with little to no congregation remaining. I pray that we never become that kind of dying church. But I do pray (laughs) that we become a dying church according to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 12. What that means is dying to self for the purposes of the gospel. It means experiencing affliction on account of Jesus. It means having anxious concern for the things of Jesus. It means carrying in our body the death of Jesus, sharing in his suffering to sow the seeds that manifest the life of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be that kind of dying church so that the life of Jesus is made manifest. Well, God uses weak churches. Jars of clay, clay churches, that's that's what God uses. And God uses dying churches. And he does that to highlight his own power. And he does that so that we may manifest the life of Jesus to others and life would be at work in them. But if we are honest, as we think about that kind of way of life, a way of weakness, it is not easy, nor is it simply desirable. Living as jars of clay, carrying around in our body the death of Jesus, that is hard work. How can we keep on? How can we persevere in this work that God has called us to do as a weak church? Well, I'm thankful verses 13 to 15 give us the answer there. How can weak churches persevere? That's our second question. And Paul moves us forward in verse 13 with the answer. Weak churches persevere in the work first with encouragement from God's past faithfulness. See, Paul is identifying himself in verse 13 with the psalmist in Psalm 116. Psalm 116, it reveals a psalmist that is in distress, as if he is in the snares of death, that they've encompassed him. He was afflicted and cried to God, and the Lord delivered him. He was on the verge of death, but then he describes and gives testimony in Psalm 116 as being in the land of the living, as one who was preserved by God. You see, the psalmist believed in God, And he believed that God could in fact rescue him and God did that very thing, rescued him from his trouble. And so what did the psalmist do? The psalmist spoke. The psalmist testified about that and he continued in the service of God. And so what Paul is doing is he is basically saying in his life and ministry, he is in good company even with the righteous sufferers of the Old Testament who endured solely by the power of God. And so he believes with the same spirit of faith in God's past track record. He believes and he continues to speak the gospel. But more than looking back at what God has done in verses 13 and 14, Paul looks ahead to what God promises to do. How can weak churches persevere? He's saying on one level they persevere by faith and the encouragement of what God has done in the past, but he's looking forward and saying, weak churches persevere by faith in the future promise of the resurrection. 
Look at that with me in verse 14. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. How are weak churches going to persevere in this hard, difficult work that is like dying, that is like death? It is with the promise of the resurrection that we can persevere. For Paul, as for all of us, being given over to death daily eventually does end in physical death, just like it did for Jesus himself. But what is it that Paul knew? Paul knew the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So if you think about Paul's own life, Paul stared death in the face. And Paul was reminded that even death could not separate him from the love of Christ. Death had been conquered through the resurrection of Jesus. And one day, even though death would come, he knew that another day would come for him. Another day would arrive when death would finally be swallowed up and when death would finally be no more. He knew that resurrection awaits all who trust in Jesus. That is what kept Paul going. Facing all of this turmoil, all of this trouble, all of this hardship, even staring death in the face, he knew that on the other side of that, if that would come to him, is resurrection. The literal bodily resurrection of Jesus will one day give life to our mortal bodies. Those who trust in Jesus will be raised to life with him, life forevermore in the very presence of God. Well, this is very real for us here at College Church. If we think about in the life of our own church and the reality of loss in our own midst, Paul was facing death and he was thinking of death. And what gave him hope to persevere and continue on was resurrection. If we think about standing at a graveside when a body is placed into the grave, we do not hope in how great a person lived their life. We do not hope in how great a person's accomplishments are. We do not hope in a person's great legacy that they leave behind. Our only hope at a graveside is the promise of the resurrection. Do you have that hope tonight? That hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that if you trust in him in this life, one day is coming where we will be raised again with him for all time. That is the hope of the gospel. And that is what keeps us going in this life, no matter what we are facing. Even death was not loss to Paul because resurrection awaits. How do weak churches persevere? In the face of hardship, even in the face of death. Future resurrection. It's what Jesus gives us in himself. That kept Paul moving forward. That kept Paul speaking the promise of resurrection. But in verse 15, Paul gives us one more motivation as a church as we think about that tonight. How do weak churches, with this hard work that we've been called to, how do we persevere? Well, it's also with the promise of future fruit. Future fruit that he describes in verse 15. 
Because even as jars of clay, as they're given over to the experiences of daily dying through affliction or hardship, suffering or anxiety, the light of the gospel shines through those cracks in jars of clay. And what God does, God uses that so that God's grace extends to more and more people to the glory of God. Did you see that in verse 15? It is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. God uses weakness, this weak church even, so that God's grace in Jesus will extend to more and more people, not to the glory of the church, not to the glory of the messenger, not to the glory of one another, but to the glory of God. Why did Paul persevere in the work? It was for the sake of the church. It was for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. It was for the sake of the glory of God. It was the promise of future fruit, the fruit of the hard, weak gospel ministry that we're called into. So, friends, God uses weak churches. We're so prone to want to be the strong church. We're so prone to to, to want to be the, the pinnacle. That's not how God works. God works through weak churches to highlight his power to highlight the life of Jesus that only he can give. We cannot give that. I pray that we have fresh vigor in our own witness, persevering in the hard work that we might face as a result of following Jesus Christ and testifying to his name, that we persevere with the hope of a future resurrection that awaits us, and also with the hope of the fruit that will be brought about as a result of giving ourselves to that work as a church. God uses weak churches. Well, as we close here, I was thinking of Thanksgiving this Thursday. Thanksgiving, we're we're often going to have an opportunity just to reflect on all that God has done in the last year. And I was thinking about a year from now, not this Thanksgiving, but next Thanksgiving. Let's pray that one year from now, at next year's Thanksgiving, we hear countless stories of God's grace extending to more and more people in our community so that thanksgiving abounds to the glory of God because the gospel has gone out through weak clay vessels like us. May God use this weak church to advance the treasure of his gospel in our community right here in Wheaton. May God receive all the glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we come before you with an acknowledgement of our own frailty. But not simply to acknowledge that, but, but allow that to lead us to an acknowledgement of your power and of your goodness and of your life and of the hope that is only found in you. So God, you've called us to this work of gospel ministry as a church to shine the light of the gospel That is hard work, though. Help us to persevere, not in our own strength, but in your power. Help us to persevere with what awaits us in the resurrection from the dead. 
And help us to persevere knowing that this is the way in which you bring about fruit in the world to your own glory. And I pray that you would work through weak vessels such as us. And we ask for your help. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.